My text for today is 1 John chapter 4 and verses 1 to 6. The Apostle John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and you have overcome the world, because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore the world they, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, and he who knows God hears us, and he who is not of God does not hear us. Wow. By this we will know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The most important principle in any warfare is the ability to identify who your enemies are. No general goes out to war without first knowing his enemy. If you want to win a battle, you need to know what you're up against. There are three enemies that every believer has to contend. Internal, external, and the infernal enemy. The internal enemy is what the Bible refers to as the flesh. And I can tell you that the flesh is a very formidable enemy. And there's only one way we deal with the flesh. It has to be crucified. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I that lives. There is no other way. You cannot subdue the flesh by willpower. You cannot cast the flesh out like you cast out devils. The flesh has to be put to death once and for all. And the only instrument capable of doing that is the cross. And that's why we make much about the blood and the cross of Calvary here in this church. The second enemy is in the external enemy. And the Bible refers to this as the spirit of the world. The world comp comprises three things. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And it's these things that pull on our five human senses and the way we deal with the flesh is faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle John says that our faith is the thing that overcomes this world. Jesus said, I've, be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. Now if you love the world, the glitz, the glitter, the glamour of this world, then the love of the Father cannot be in you, period. You gotta choose. Do you want the love of the Father? Or do you want the love of this world? The third enemy is the one that I want to focus on today and that's the infernal enemy. And the infernal enemy is the devil and a horde of spiritual wickedness under his command. We're looking at a very formidable and very well-organized army. In spiritual warfare, Christians often make two fundamental mistakes when dealing with the devil. Number one, we underestimate the enemy to our detriment and it's often uh, done so by the way we speak. And number two, we overestimate the power of the enemy and in doing so, underestimate the power of God and we live in fear and in bondage. So in any warfare, it's paramount to know who and what we're up against. Paul says that we're not to be unaware of the wiles or the schemes of the devil. My friends, don't give room to the enemy. Don't give room to the devil. You invite him for supper, he'll bring his pajamas. Trust me. I've been in ministry long enough to tell you that... The devil is a very vindictive foe. He's out to destroy your life. His sole purpose of existence is to steal, kill and destroy. Don't you ever forget that. C.S. Lewis says that every square inch of this universe is going, to be un is going to be contested. So not to expect opposition is just plain foolish. Now Satan is on a warpath. 
Revelation 13 verse 7 reveals that he, the Antichrist, has been granted or given permission to make war, to make war with the saints. Satan has many weapons in his arsenal, but none more lethal than the weapons of deception. He's got weapons of mass deception. And there is an onslaught of deceiving spirits that have been released against the church in this hour, the likes of which we have never seen before. And I tell you, the early apostles had a running battle with false teachers and false prophets and they were constantly warning the church against error, exposing false teaching that was coming in by stealth. The biggest danger in the early church was not persecution, it was false teaching. Watchman Nee says, the need for today is for a company of overcoming saints who know how to wage war for the release of those under the enemy's deception. My text is 1 John, and it's a book of contrast, the first epistle of John. There are seven things that John contrasts one with another, makes a clear demarcation and dichotomy between each of these contrasting things. He said light is contrasted with darkness, number one. Number two, love is contrasted with hatred. Number three, the love of the Father is contrasted with the love of the world. Number four, righteousness is contrasted with unrighteousness. Then the Spirit of Christ is contrasted with the spirit of Antichrist. The children of God is contrasted with the children of the devil. And number seven, the spirit of truth is contrasted with the spirit of error. Now John makes it very clear in his definitions. There's no ambiguity or middle ground. There's no neutrality. He defines his terms very clearly, no uncertain terms. This is what light is. This is what darkness is. This is what righteousness is. This is what it is not. Everything is clearly spelled out. Why? So that you will know where you stand. Are you in the light or are you in the darkness? Do you have love in your heart or is there hatred in your heart? I want to speak on the seven dichotomy, which is the spirit of truth that is directly contrasted with the spirit of error. There is a spirit of error that is permeating the church today, more than ever so before. And the only thing that can protect us from the spirit of error is the spirit of truth to him. And then may God grant to Cornerstone in this hour the spirit of truth because that's the only thing that will protect us from the error that is permeating the church in this hour. And we must in Cornerstone welcome, open our hearts to the spirit of truth. Amen. Amen. It's like the spirit of divorce swept the church at one time. And in America, one in two Christians are divorced. And sometimes the only thing that protects the, the church from the spirit of divorce is the spirit of marriage in the church. Hallelujah. There was a prophecy given to us and the prophecy was God says, I've given the church cornerstone, the spirit of marriage and I will keep out the spirit of divorce. Hallelujah. Paul explains that it's the love for the truth that's going to protect us from deception. It's more than just the spirit of truth. Do you love truth? Do you love truth? Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 says the coming of the lawless one is according to all the working of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception. Watch this. Among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love for the truth that they might be saved. Oh my friends, we got to love the truth. Amen. We're entering into a season of great visitation. Mark my words, revival is about to hit the nation's God is about to move with great power and holiness and this is to be expected and it is to be anticipated as well. When God moves in power, it's always for a purpose. And we see in Scripture 
when revival comes, there are some things that we can expect that will follow. Number one, we must, it is, revival is always to prepare us for the darkness ahead. You read the book of Acts, every visitation is followed by persecution. Every great revival in the Old Testament was always followed by the enemy opposing God, God's people. So revival is given, often given to us to prepare us for the battles that are ahead. Come on. Number two, after God visits us in His, His people, the way always becomes narrower. You know, with greater light comes greater responsibility. When the, after the Holy Spirit was poured out on the 120 in Acts chapter 2, immediately the standards got higher. And we read in Acts chapter 5, an episode that threatened to derail the entire revival and the Holy Spirit had to mete out disciplinary action swiftly and severely. Oh my goodness, when revival comes, God is going to bring many things to the surface. Why? Because He is coming back for a church without spot and without wrinkle. Hallelujah. Shakaba. And for that to happen, He's got to first judge His house. Amen. Thirdly, revival is going to bring out many seducing spirits and they will seek to deceive many. And this is what I want to focus on today. When Jesus asked a question about the last days in Matthew 24, He said this, let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. The question we need to ask is, is there, is there going to be an immunity from deception? The answer is yes. The, our greatest protection from the falls is to know the truth. Amen. It's the spirit of truth that keeps us from the spirit of error. But there is another thing, my friends. Many years ago, and, it, the, and it's the key, and, and this is what I want to explain to you. Many years ago, I, some of you heard the story I was looking and studying uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to ask the Lord for a gift. And His response to me, He said, ask for the discerning, the gift of discerning of spirits. Now at that time I was young, I was uh, immature and silly, and I was a little disappointed because what I had hoped that He would say to me was, I want to give you the gift of working on miracles. Come on. I want to give you the gift of faith that can move mountains. I want to give you the gift of healings. But through the years, ladies and gentlemen, I've come to realize that perhaps the most important gift a pastor can receive from the Lord is the gift of discerning of spirits or discernment. Because more than anything else, I believe this gift has saved me from great pitfalls and problems. Because when you're surrounded by people constantly, it is very important that you have discernment because not everybody is genuine. What is our antidote to deception? It is discernment, my friends. And may God grant to everyone here in this church a greater discernment for this hour. In Acts chapter 8, we have a classic example of deception. There was a sorcerer in the city of Samaria and he astonished the people with his signs and wonders. And in verse 10, it says, the people from the greatest to the least gave heed to this sorcerer called Simon. They call him the great power of God. Boy, they, they were all deceived. The entire city was deceived by this man. They thought that his power came from God. Philip the evangelist comes to Samaria and he preaches in the city, performs great signs and wonders. There's great joy in the city. It's a great crusade. God's bringing many people and the signs and the miracles were astonishing. When this sorcerer saw the miracles, he realized, boy, I'm out of my league, man. So he joined the bandwagon and he believed the message that Philip preached, got baptized and everybody was high-fiving one another. This is great. Simon the sorcerer is now a believer. Woo! When those in Jerusalem heard it, they sent Peter and John to assist the revival. And when Peter comes along, 
Boy, he could smell a rat from a mile away. And he easily discerned the condition of this man's heart, rebuked the man for thinking that he could purchase the, the gift of God and he was poisoned with iniquity and bound by sin. The point I'm trying to make, listen, this is the point. Everybody thought that this guy was a swell guy. Everybody but Peter. Nobody had the discernment. I mean, the whole church, they did not have the discernment about this man. But when Peter came, immediately Peter, through the gift of discerning of spirits, could pick up things about the man. Even Philip the evangelist, Philip could not discern the true state of this man. Wow. Now discernment is like the nose. I have an uncanny ability to smell cockroaches. I've said this before. They emit a certain scent. And whenever I'm in a room and I, have, I smell that scent, I know that there are cockroaches in that place and I've never been wrong before. Now God wants to give us the same ability to have a nose. Now this is the gift of discernment, not the gift of suspicion. Amen. But He wants to give us this gift of discernment so that when there's something that is off, we can pick it up in the Spirit straight away. Amen. Now I want to just say, you know, we sang that song, Jesus is safe. I want to say that Cornerstone is a safe place too. Amen. You can feel safe in this church, but if you're living in sin, you are not going to be safe. It's a safe place as far as people want to get their lives right with God. It's a safe place that we will not condemn you. It's a safe place that we will not judge you. But if you are not walking right with God, we will have to deal with the issue. Amen. It's a safe place for homosexuals to come because we're not going to single you out and we're not going to make fun of you or we're not going to embarrass you anyway. But we are also going to have to speak to you about your condition. Because if we don't do that, then we're in dereliction of duty. In love, we have to deal with these issues. Amen. Don't you see? It's about an eternal state of a man that we have to deal with. How do you develop this discernment? By meditating on the Word of God. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us that Satan can transform himself as an angel of light. And if he can do that, Paul says his ministers can do that. No problems, right? And if a seducer comes, and again, I want to say that the chances and the likelihood of something like this happening in Cornerstone is very negligible. Because we are very careful who speaks in this pulpit. We're very careful. We only have people that we know very well and trust who have the integrity of the Word to stand up here at the pulpit to speak the Word of God. So you can rest easy, amen. But having said that, I, I just, I, I'm just giving you a scenario where if a seducer comes up to speak, he's not going to speak heresy because he knows in 10 seconds we will gag him and cast him into outer darkness. Hallelujah. But the way they operate is they come as angels of light. They speak what seems right, what seems true, and they do this to disarm God's people. And the moment we drop our guard, bam, that's when the false teachings come. I tell you, it's 1% of cyanide in a glass of pure water, and you're a dead man. And we always say things like, you know, Pastor, he, he always says, talks about Jesus in his sermon. He must be right. I've heard this so many times. Even the demons talk about Jesus and they tremble. Hallelujah. Amen. Don't be deceived, my friends. Stay awake, be vigilant. Now allow me to show you how, in the next 10 minutes, show you how deception has permeated in the church with many of you. Some of you are going to be very convicted after this. Um, the New Testament writers were constantly correcting the deception that through the Word because of the behavior of the people. Now watch this. Very subtle. 
And the Apostle Paul warns us that the time will come when people won't want to listen to sound doctrine. The time has already come. Here are several ways that deception has crept into the church. Are you ready? Number one, you are deceived if you are just a hearer of the word and not a doer. James chapter 1 verse 23. Satan doesn't need to bring out the big guns. No, sir. He doesn't even need to appear as an angel of light. All he needs to do is to convince you that you have done your Christian duty and you're a good Christian after hearing a good sermon. Someone said 10% of the church members will not remember 10% of what was preached 10 minutes after the service over. over. How many of us are deceived into thinking that because I attend a church service on a weekend or heard something online that I'm in good stead with God? I know this because I ask people all the time, how are you doing spiritually? Oh, pastor, I went to church last week. What has that got to do with doing well spiritually? How many of you have heard sermons on Sunday? The moment you walk out of the church, you forgot what the preacher said. Hope it doesn't happen this morning. You, some of you are probably thinking, when is this preacher going to finish so that I can go out for lunch? Woe unto you. <laughs> Sorry. Jesus alluded to this in the Sermon of the Mount. He said, the wise man is the man who after hearing the word goes out and he does something about it. Come on, my friends. The wise man is the one who hears the word. He, he listens to it and he goes out. He does something. When he does that, what does he do? He's building his house on solid rock. Why? Because the storms of life will come. That's what Jesus is preparing us for. He's preparing us for the storms. And the only way we can stand the test of time is so that we build our house on rock. And the only way we can build our house on the rock is when we hear what we preach and we go out and do it. The man in the church who is a fool, and there's some people here, who hears the word and he goes out, he does nothing about this. He's building his house on sand. You can bet your life, you can take this to the bank, there's going to be ruin. Because he didn't take heed according to the word of God. How many times have you heard me preach over this Pope in the last two years? How many times have I said, have communion? As often as you do, have communion. If you can, have it every day. If not, try to do it twice, three times a week. Have communion as often as you. How many of you are doing that? How many of you go out and says, you know what Pastor Young says is true. I should start doing this. Because if you don't do what you hate, you're deceiving yourself. I tell you this, my friends, communion is not just for you. It's for God. You say, how is it for God? Because every time you open the blood and you drink the blood, He looks down from heaven and He remembers what His Son Jesus did for all of us. And it moves Him. And He says, I see the blood. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. Hallelujah. Shaka Baba. So the blood is not just for us, it's for Him. Chris Berkland, my good friend, had a vision and he saw a big interactive map of America. And he said, in the map, lights were shining all over in America. And he said to the Lord, what are these lights? And the Lord says, that's where everywhere, where every household is having communion. Every time they have communion, it's this light that emits from your household. And it reminds God of the price that His Son Jesus paid for us. How many of you heard tons of sermons about serving and yet you wouldn't live a finger to serve God's people? We just had a video. We need, we need volunteers in our Sunday school ministry. How many of you will volunteer? How many of you have time and say, yes, I can volunteer? Come on, my friends. Don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer. How many of you heard the lost needs to, to hear the gospel and you've not 
have not attempted to try and share your faith with anybody. So don't be just hearers, my friends. If you're a hearer, you're already deceived. Number two, you are deceived to think and say or say that you have no sin. 1 John 1a. In the past 32 years of ministry, I have met so many people who think they're very moral and upright people and have no sin. And this is evidenced by the fact that when you come to the prayer meetings, you hardly hear people confess their sins to God. You hardly hear people confess. I tell you this, my friends, I get up every day at early in the morning and the first thing, I, I get down on my knees and the first prayer is, Lord, I humble myself before you. I'm just a piece, a sluggish piece of, of aging humanity. I am nothing, Lord. Put the, the, the cloak of humility over me. That's my first prayer. Prayer number two. Lord, cleanse and wash me from my sins. I'm a sinner, Lord. There's so many defects in me, Lord. Change me, change me. Don't change all the people that hurt me. Change me, Lord. Change them too, by the way. That's what I mean. I, I, what I mean, change me first, right? Listen, your morality can keep you out of prison. Yes, sir. But your morality is not going to keep you out from hell. Trust me. Jesus told a parable of two men that went to the temple to pray. One of them was a Pharisee. You know what his prayer was? He said, let me read this to you. He said, God, I thank you that I'm not like others. I'm not an extortioner, unjust, adulterous, or even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give my tithes of all that I possess. Boy, he was feeling pretty good about himself. The tax collector standing afar off would not, not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven, beat his breast. I have not seen anybody beat their breast here in Cornerstone yet. I hope it came out right. I, that, what I meant was the, the anguish of soul. What did Jesus say? And then he said, Lord, be merciful to me. What did Jesus say? He said, I tell you, that text collector went to his house justified rather than the other. Beware of this holier than thou. Confess your sins. Come on, every morning when you get up, confess your sins before God. Lord, change me, Lord. Wash me, Lord. Amen. The third thing is you're deceived if you think you're something when you're not Galatians 6 and verse 3. If anyone thinks himself to be someone or something when he is not, he's deceiving himself. A proud and arrogant man is already in deception. They just don't know it, right? I've met many Christians, they're so proud, even the peacocks don't want to talk to them. <laughs> Please, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't put me on a pedestal. Never put your pastors on a pedestal, amen? I'm just flesh and blood. I have the same struggles like any, every one of you. So can I suggest this? Humble yourself before God every morning. Get down on your knees, which is a good place to be, my friends, and humble yourself. Number four, you're deceived when you think you're wise with the wisdom of this world. You know, the problem with deception is there's always some truth in deception. I mentioned 1% of cyanide in a glass of water will kill you. I've met many Christians in the last few weeks, just the last few weeks, and I can, they can tell you all, all about the world. Boy, they are very clever, you know. They can quote all the philosophers and all the actors and all the billionaires. They can tell you about everything about Elon Musk. They, they'll tell you all about how to make a quick buck, all the latest feds and trends. They can use fancy phrases, high-sounding words, talk to you about all the things that, 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 that seems to have a, 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 a touch of wisdom. But that's the wisdom of the world. That is the wisdom of the world and we got to be careful. Last week was Formula One. I, I'm telling you, you throw a stone and you hit a millionaire and everybody is so fascinated with that. We got to be careful, my friends. 
Those things can steal our hearts away from God. Amen. The simplicity of serving Jesus Christ. Come on. I met so many people. I, my friends, so many people. They say, and, they, and those who are honest will speak their hearts to me. Pastor Young, I'm at the stage in my life where I've got more than enough for two lifetimes. I don't know what, all my achievements is going, I don't know, I don't have kids, some of them don't have kids, I have no children, I don't know where my inheritance is going, who's going to take over, I don't know the future, and I'm like almost a sense of depression because they work all their lives for nothing. Just to be rich. I'm so glad at the age of 30, I made the right choice, hallelujah. I'm so glad God called me into full-time ministry because I don't know what I would do. I'm so glad that I'm, at least my life is being used for a divine purpose for eternity. Number five, you're deceived by sounding religious when your unbridled tongue reveals your true condition. This is James chapter 1, verse 26. What basically James is saying is that if you think you're spiritual but you can't control your tongue, you're deceiving yourself. Number seven, you're deceiving yourself if you think you can sow and not reap what you sow. This is a universal principle. Sowing, reaping, it's not just about money. It's about everything we do. You sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. You will reap decay. You will reap ruin. And I strongly advise you that if you sow to the flesh to repent and reverse the tide. In the same token, if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. Number seven, if you're, de you're deceived to think that the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. This is one of the most sinister doctrines that I think that the enemy has brought into the church is the, is the doctrine of eternal security or one safe, always safe. Jesus never taught this. The disciples never thought that the Bible doesn't teach us. And this is, in my opinion, one of the worst heresies in the body of Christ. It's a false view of eternal security that does not uh, depend on a vibrant daily faith in Jesus Christ. Christians can be deceived to think that they can continue to live with, in sin and in rebellion against God's law without any consequences. Don't be deceived. You know, Paul says something else here in 1 Corinthians 15 in verse 33. He says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. I know many Christians in Cornerstone, you hang out with your drinking buddies. Yeah, I know. One extra beer, one extra glass of wine. Come on, let's push the boundaries. I want, want just one more for the road, one more for the road. One more, you hang out with your, uh, you know, your, your office workers at the end. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that we don't reach out to them with love and evangelism. No, sir. All I'm saying is that they become your, your companions for life and, then you, you, and they're tempting you to cross the line all the time. And if you think that that will not affect you, you are in the process of being deceived. That's what the Bible says. Just read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Come on. Or sit in the seats of sinners and scoffers. Or stand in the way of sinners. We got to choose, my friends. We got to choose. Amen. Number eight, you're deceived into thinking that God has rejected and denied Israel's place in God's end time purposes. I don't think anyone in Cornerstone believes in the replacement theology. If you should, if you do, you should come, come out at the end of the service and repent of your sin. In a nutshell, I think that this idea that the church has replaced Israel and that God has got no place for the Jewish people, I want to say that that's a lie that comes from the pit of hell. Listen, if God can break His covenant with Israel, what makes you think He won't break His covenant with us? 
Think about that. God is a covenant-keeping God. Amen? Amen? And, uh, and His love for Israel will never be diminished. You like Israel, you don't like Israel. It doesn't matter as far as God is concerned. They are the number one nation on His list of nations. They are the firstborn of the nations. Amen? Amen? I don't want to belabor the point, but I tell you this, much of the persecution or the, much of the problems that I face has been a result of the fact that I, I speak very boldly for Israel. I think I was asked recently by, uh, about a couple of months ago by New Version Bible to give a devotion, two-minute devotion. One million people actually watched the devotions I heard. And they gave me Isaiah 60 to talk about. Arise and shine for thy light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. I used that, I said, the context of Isaiah 60 is about Israel. Because the, 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 it talks about the sons of Abraham coming. It talks about the Gentiles coming to the brightness of your rising. The whole context of Isaiah 60 is about Israel. Yes, you can apply it to the church, but it's about Israel. So I said in the devotions, I said, this is all about Israel. And if you don't have Israel in your theology, your theology is wrong. Of course, they're not going to put it. Of course, they didn't put it up in the, in the, in the devotional. But it's okay. At 62, I don't care. The day will come somewhere in the future when all of Israel shall be saved. Do you believe that? You can take that to the bank. If that doesn't happen, then God's a liar. He promised that all of Israel shall be saved. Come on, hallelujah. Number nine, you're deceived to think that miracles, healing, signs and wonders have ceased. This doctrine is called cessationism. And a lot of churches in Singapore believe that. And then they want revival. They say, Pastor, can you come to our church to talk about revival? I message, I've got a, the, the, my latest message that I, 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 I prepared. No Holy Spirit, no revival. You want revival, Singapore? You must open the doors to the Holy Spirit. Always honour the Holy Spirit. Make room for the Holy Spirit. The Bible is a supernatural book, yes? You take out the supernatural from the Bible, you don't have a Bible. The Christianity, the early church practice was a supernatural Christianity, yes? You take out the supernatural from Christianity, what do you have? A cheap imitation. Everything they did was infused by the power of God. And we must find our way back to that. I tell you this, every church is either supernatural or superficial. There's no middle ground. A powerless Pentecost is an oxymoron. Number 10, very quickly, I, because I want to come to the finale. You're deceived if you do not believe in hell. I'll just quote one of my favourite quotes from A.W. Tozer. Every ransom man owes his salvation to the fact that during the days of his sinning, God kept the door of mercy open by refusing, by refusing to accept any of His evil deeds as final. That's such a profound statement. Number 11, and I'll go on record to say this, you're deceived if you believe in the hyper-grace message. I'm standing here publicly to announce that. I don't care what flack I get, it doesn't matter. I don't care who's going to break fellowship with me, it doesn't matter. I call a spade a spade, amen. And the longer you sit, under that anointing or teaching, you are going to be brainwashed by it. You are going to be brainwashed by it. The theological term is antinomianism. It's a theology that holds the idea that under the dispensation of grace, that the moral law has got no more value. Come on, my friends. What Bible have you been reading? When we are dealing with the law, you must make a distinction between the moral law and the ceremonial law. When Jesus came, He abolished the ceremony, but He never abolished the moral law. In fact, He said, I came to fulfill the law. Hallelujah. The law is good, the law is righteous, and the law is holy. That's what Paul says. And the Bible 
has never negated the place of the law in our hearts. In the New Testament, the law is written in, on the tablets of our hearts. In the Old Testament, it was written on the tablets of stone. The law is good. Amen? Amen? And once in a while, you should recite the Ten Commandments and say, God, am I living to the light of this word? Hallelujah. And number 12, and this is the finale. I want to say this because this is very prevalent in our stream. You're deceived if you believe in theism. Now, theism is the belief that God knows the future, but he, I'm so sorry, that God does not know the future. I'm so sorry. And he needs our inputs. That somehow the will of God can be altered. Open theism reduces God to a contingency planner because he knows every possibility, but he does not know the path that his creation will take. So for instance, a theist will believe that if your purpose for prayer is not to change God's mind or God's will, then you're wasting your time. Wow. I always thought that prayer was to discern what God's will was and then to pray His will to be done. A theist believes that God is in charge, but He's not in control. That He has left us, the Christians, in control of His planet. If that's the case, then I don't think we're doing a good job. A theist believes that God does not impose His will on mankind. Woohoo! Hallelujah. A theist believes that God will never allow His children to go through suffering. I guess they don't believe in the book of Job. Ateus believes that the church has been tasked with transforming the world and that we will present to Jesus a beautiful utopia when He returns. We will get the world straightened out, not Jesus, but we will. And when He comes back, uh, we can somehow write, rewrite the narrative of the book of Revelation. Literally. Some people don't like what they read in the book of Revelation. It says, let's rewrite the narrative. Yeah? Ateus believes that God wants everyone healed and if, you, if you're not healed, it is due to a lack of faith. I want to just also, on this point, just say that my, the Lord, I have to apologize for this because there was a time I was so zealous about healing that I didn't believe that there, there was any need for doctors. <laughs> I'm sorry for that. And then God began to show, speak to me about this and I, I discovered that He can heal medically, He can heal naturally, and He can heal supernaturally. And we should never limit what God can do. I was only reading things by John Gillick, and John Gillick was very dogmatic. If you go to doctors, then you're out of the will of God. Whoa. So I said, man, Lord, I want to attain this kind of faith. But I realized that God can heal many ways. And doctors, you are an important part of the healing process. Amen. You are an important part of the healing process. Just don't charge us so much. I go, uh, okay, I don't say, I've got some of my, I go and see some of the doctors here so I cannot say anything. <laughs> All I'll say is sometimes I come back and, you know, whether I get better or not, I will always feel poorer. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Ateus believes that everything that is negative is from the devil. In other words, God is not in, into pandemics. God is not into natural disasters. That's not, God does not do these things. Only the devil does it. I, I say these things to provoke you to start examining some of your theology. 
because there's a lot of error that's coming and sometimes these things can lead to bigger things, bigger things, bigger things. I want you to stand up, please. <clears throat> I want you to... What's most important for me in this service is this one phrase, be doers of the word. Don't just be hearers, amen. What you hear, go back and say, God, if this is you, then I want to practice this. I don't just want to hear it, I want to practice this. I don't hear many sermons now because I realize it's sometimes the responsibility. Woo! Oh my goodness. I hear something and I said, Lord, I know that that challenges me and I have to do it because it's right. What you are saying, what that preacher is saying is right. And I'm challenged and I have to change behavior. I have to change lifestyle. I have to change the things that I do. Father, I thank you that you have by and large kept Cornerstone a safe place. I thank you, God, that you've given to us a love for the truth. I know this, Lord, or else half the people would have walked away while I was preaching. I know that you've given these people a love for the truth, Lord. I know that you've kept the spirit of error out from this church. And I want to stand and declare here, Satan, you have no authority in this house, in Jesus' name. I speak the blood of the Lamb over this house, and I pray your hedge of protection over all of Cornerstone, Lord, I pray that you keep false teachings, error and deception out of this house in Jesus' name. I pray that every person that stands on this pulpit will be a man or woman of God and they will speak the word of the Lord. And Lord, it will be not just the logos, but the rhema. And the Lord, it will be a piercing word every time. I pray that you give pastors the courage, Lord, to confront sin and to speak the truth no matter what it will cost us. Lord, yes, we have been threatened. Yes, we have been threatened not to say things, but I pray, I know the day is coming, God, when the urgency of the hour will require us to be bolder than we've ever been before. Make me strong, Lord. Put steel in my backbone, Lord, and never let me cower away for fear, Lord, of persecution in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you will cover us with the blood. I pray for every family member here, Lord, every person, every family represented. Lord, that they will, they will not have itching ears, Lord. I want to say that there are, you know, a lot of conspiracy theories going around. Be careful, my friends. Be careful, be careful, be careful. Be careful. Some Singaporeans had to leave the country because of that. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you're listening to. Be careful what you say in Jesus' name. Lord, cover us, Lord. Protect your, your church from, from false teachings and error, Lord. But always give us the grace to speak what is right and true. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Freedom doesn't come uh, by, by just hearing the truth. You've got to know it, hallelujah. It's got to be like revelation. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We know that this deception is very powerful, Lord. When there was a deception in heaven many, many eons ago, many ages ago, one third of the angels were deceived by the spirit of deception and they chose to follow a rebellious archangel. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that it will not happen here in Cornerstone, that there will be the mercy of God over this house. You will protect us by your mercy and by your grace, O oh God. That Lord, we will, not, we will not be a place where false teachings will be propagated. In Jesus' name. I speak the peace and the shalom, the shalom, the shalom of Christ over this house. 
keep us pure in our doctrines. Keep us holy as a people, Lord. Put the fear of God in our hearts, oh God. This is my desire. I want the fear of God more than anything else. Lord, give me the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. We welcome the spirit of the fear of the Lord in this place. And bless every family, I pray today, that when they go back, Lord, they're going to obey what they have heard and they're going to do something with the Word of God or they deceive themselves. So Father, bless this house, I pray, with every spiritual blessing. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.